Hi, this is Scott, Executive Director of EmpowerEd and co-host of the Educator Wellness Revolution podcast. At EmpowerEd, we believe deeply in the connection between educator wellness and our ongoing advocacy efforts in Washington, D.C. and beyond. To us, it seems pointless to ask educators to better manage their stress when we could instead be trying to create a less stressful system. For this reason, we're always speaking with our elected officials and other key decision makers to inform them of educator ideas for change so we can make an education system where teachers feel valued and cared for as professionals. For this episode, we're excited to speak with Washington, D.C. Councilmember Christina Henderson. Councilmember Henderson is a progressive member of the D.C. Council, and we speak with her about a lot of our educator initiatives. We're really excited to hear that she's co-sponsored upcoming legislation to aid educator wellness in Washington, D.C., She's also authored the Student Loan Repayment Assistance for Educators Act, which will offer significant student loan relief to DC educators who qualify. As you'll hear in our conversation, Councilmember Henderson understands that student loan debt is a huge impediment to building a stable and prosperous life for so many educators. In particular, it's a burden that falls particularly hard on educators of color that are so important for student success. Supporting these educators through enhancing their financial wellness is a great step towards building a stronger school system. We are hopeful that Washington, D.C. educators will sign up and testify at this bill's upcoming hearing on November 12th. We've included a link to sign up in the show notes and urge you to put in your name soon. At EmpowerEd, we're always happy to explain more about the testifying process, so please don't hesitate to reach out to us at wellness at weareempowered.org if you have any questions. Please enjoy this conversation with Councilmember Christina Henderson. Welcome back to the Educator Wellness Revolution podcast. I am Scott Goldstein, Executive Director of EmpowerEd, and we are very, very excited to have Councilmember Christina Henderson, at-large DC Councilmember, on the podcast with us today. I'm Gracie Obohovich. I am the Director of Educator Wellness, and welcome, Councilmember Henderson. Can you start by introducing yourself and ask, talking a little bit more about how the role wellness plays in your life and thinking about also the schools that you went to growing up and how they supported your wellness or ways that you wish that they did. Thank you guys for having me. And so I'm Christina Henderson. I am an at-large member of the DC Council. I chair the health committee. So your question around wellness is one that I definitely take seriously. Although admittedly in this job, I'm not as good as it as perhaps I should be. I, you know, I'm on the Peloton train. So I definitely try to work out a couple of days a week as a way to just sort of release stress for the 30 minutes that I'm on the bike or in a class or those kinds of things. There are also times too, where if I have like a little stretch of the day, I will just go outside for a walk just to smell fresh air, (laughs) to not be under um, lights and just try to think about everything that has happened, but also try to recenter as best I can. In terms of the schools that I went to, truly until college, like wellness was not a thing that was necessarily discussed. I went to a high school that was one of those, no, I went to a high school and a middle school that were both magnet schools. And so, you know, I think the the focus around college preparation was more of the focus as opposed to no one ever talked about mental health breaks or, you know, time or pacing or, you know, just being, it was like, here's the assignment, here's the due date, how many activities are you a part of and doing those kinds of things. And so I think now thinking back as an adult, that probably wasn't the healthiest approach. And I wish there could have been 
a view of more balance. But in college, there was. And that's mainly because, you know, you're not in school for, quote unquote, in school from like 9 to 3.15 continuously. It's funny you mentioned college because I was thinking about this earlier and thinking like in elementary school, right? Like just seeing my kids go from like pre-K to second grade in the last few years, the kind of like environment that they step in morning, I'm sure you've been into in like the classrooms, it just like feels like wellness in a pre-K classroom. And then like a little bit in a kindergarten classroom and like not so much in a first grade classroom and a little less in a second grade classroom. And it's just like, we kind of like take those things away pretty quick, right? The like environment of that. And like, you don't really get it back to a college in some ways, right? Like we get very serious about the environment that we're in just physically, right? Pretty quickly in school in a way that doesn't really feel like health or doesn't feel like wellness in terms of our days. So yeah, it's interesting you bring up college and just, I think that's definitely the time when you you start to get that freedom to kind of, if you prioritize it yourself to really prioritize it. I think that some schools do it better than others. I wish that there was more uniformity, but I also feel like this isn't necessarily something that can be legislated, right? It has to be seen as a priority from the leadership of a school that we're going to build in what that looks like, but it could also even go down to in the classroom type of sense. My daughter's in pre-K four and it was her introduction into pre-K three that we are talking about brain breaks and like all of these different things that they do throughout the day to try to break up the day, to try to break up transitions. I feel like now, right at 37, I need brain breaks all the time, (laughs) but that's not necessarily something that is built into the day. Yeah. So you have new legislation uh, with hearing coming up pretty soon on November 21st that would offer very significant student loan relief to educators uh, who qualify. And we know that that's not only important that obviously student loan debt is a huge impediment to building a stable and prosperous life for so many educators, but it really is a particular burden that falls hard on our educators of color. Um, and it's so important to success and to their students' success. And we know how important it is for Black students, for example, to have even one Black educator in elementary school and the difference that makes in terms of their likelihood of going to college and succeeding later in life. And that we've heard a long time about D.C.'s high salaries, in particular in D.C. public schools. But when you look at it compared to possibly the Wallet Hub study last year that actually put us in the bottom third, Uh, of schools when you include the states nationwide when you account for cost of living. So there's a real challenge there. And then especially with public charter schools that aren't always the same as that scale. So tell us a little bit about why this issue for you. Why why is it personal and why are you passionate about it? And how do you feel this uh, bill will make a difference? Well, so it kind of started from when my job before I became a council member, I worked in the United States Senate. I was working for Senator Chuck Schumer and we had this very large push and conversation around public service loan forgiveness, because it was in that period of time that we had the first set of individuals who should have been eligible for a loan cancellation. That's what a lot of people felt is like, okay, we have PSLF. This is our opportunity to do student loan forgiveness. And then we hit the 10 year mark and literally a handful of people actually qualified due to various administrative burdens or challenges or issues. Doing a little bit more research and digging into it now as a council member, we realize there are lots of other jurisdictions who do a local supplement in terms of student loans. And it's super, super important, especially when we talk about like wellness. Crushing debt is one thing that can like stress 
Yes. So many people to the point of, I think there's like an estimated 14% of teachers who are working second jobs to supplement their salaries. And I'm not just talking about here in the district, I'm talking about across the country. And so is there a way that we can sort of relieve some of that because you're working, 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 are you really having an opportunity to prepare for your job for the next day? Are you really having an opportunity to be as innovative as you want because you're just thinking about this crushing student loan debt? And when we think about in DC, the average student loan debt in the district is $54,000 a year. That's just under the annual salary for a first-time teacher in the district, right? $54,000 a year just to be a teacher. And we know that there are racial disparities in that. So Black educators are taking on a significantly more amount of debt than other groups. It's an average of about $68,000 in order to become a teacher and to enter this profession, one of passion, one of heart, one of service. And we wanted to introduce this legislation to start the conversation around, are there other ways when we talk about teacher retention and recruitment that we can provide some relief from the financial stressors, but also provide an incentive for teachers to come to D.C. and stay in the district. It's so important because we go to schools, council member, and we, you know, we're, we're really working on how do we get educators to stay. And it is that it's just their jobs are so hard and they are, they put so much of themselves in it. And like for, I just for them to not have to worry about struggling financially. It's like we need these people to be in these positions to care for our children right now. So I think this is just like when I think about wellness, like a very basic level of wellness that, that we need right now. Yeah. I mean, and even when I think about um, so I was very fortunate that for both undergrad and for graduate school, my tuition and fees were covered. So very little, very, very little student loan debt, which allowed for myself or classmates of mine who were in a similar position, like you could take the job that you want as opposed to the job that you have to have in order to be able to pay your bills. But when I think about, you know, friends of mine who it's literally the top of their list. Like when, when student loan repayment started again in October, this was a thing that was on like, Oh my God, how am I going to do this? I haven't been making these payments for three years. And so I felt like this was now an ideal time for us to think about that. I also had a, a bill that I introduced, reintroduced last year that was around, it was more technical in nature, but it was around, you know, consumer protection around student loans and making sure that folks aren't being subject to predatory practices of, you know, these student loan servicer companies. And so I feel like this is a perfect complement of we're going to protect you, but also we're going to provide this additional benefit, which some of district agencies already do. I know at the council, we already provide a student loan benefit for council staff. Yeah, and this is a thing where DC is unfortunately unique in that almost there's obviously a federal student loan forgiven educators can take advantage of, but almost every state in the country has an additional program to help educators on top of the federal program. DC does not, and they range very widely. There's some states that give $3,000 or $5,000 a year as a cap. In some states, it's up to $20,000 a year, I think in California. And in some states, it's just for particular kinds of educators. Uh, if you're teaching a certain subject that's in high need. Um, but if you look at the data, one in five black educators it earn, owes more than $100,000 uh, when they're starting out in their careers. So that's just an enormous number. So it's not just it's not just that you need enough money 
right, to be able to do this job. It's that you need enough money to be paying that down at a rate that you can get to the place that you want. We lose educators predominantly at the age where they're starting a family, right? Yeah. Um, that's the biggest time when we're losing educators. And so if you can't pay off that debt and then you're deciding between should I buy a house for my family or or even if we're DC at all, which 60% of our teachers don't live uh, in, in DC at all, that's, that's going to be a huge driving force to leave before you even get to five years. Yeah. I mean, I think when, you know, anyone who's ever gone through the home buying process, they assess how much debt you're carrying. And for a lot of teachers, you are deemed as too risky simply because of the amount of money. But like, we can talk about this, you know, sort of in depth all day long. I think it's kind I think it's wild. Just sort of, we think about student loans in general at 18, you can't rent a car. You can't rent an Airbnb. You can't buy a drink, but we somehow allow for you to sign up for crippling amounts of debt. And then we say, nope, it's yours for life. And not even only for life, but there are certain loans that you can't actually even discharge in bankruptcy or in death. It like passes along to your family. So I, you know, we're the district. We can't necessarily change sort of the entire federal system in terms of student loans. But I feel like for this piece of legislation, it is a it is a offering for us to be able to address some of the issues. But I also think how we begin the conversation of thinking outside of the box in terms of what teacher retention and recruitment looks like, right? We could talk all day long about increased salaries, but I think there are some other ancillary benefits that we can be exploring to strengthen our position in the district. One of the mindsets we work a lot with when we're working with school leaders in particular is the investment in students versus the investment in educators. And I think students' first mentality is that they would they would put those resources towards the students and that if you're not investing in students, that you're not really investing in education. And that's something that we really try to change because we, we know we need to invest in our educators. But I'm curious how you all think about that on the council around weighing these investments that you make in students and education versus the investments you make in educators? I can't necessarily speak for my colleagues on that, but I certainly see the link. I was very much blessed to have some excellent educators growing up. I'm not sure, like investing in teachers is investing in students, period. Right. I, I think that that is sort of the direct way. Now, of course, there are occasions when people are like, oh, well, you know, what about the textbooks or what about what the classroom is or whatever the technology is? At the end of the day, it's the teacher who is making the lesson plans from whatever the textbook is. It's the teacher who is ensuring that the technology is incorporated in a seamless manner. So it doesn't seem like just a an add-on. But yeah, I don't view it as a, we need to just invest in students because at the like it's people. And sometimes it's not just the educators, it's other support staff in the building who are also support people. So, you know, the social workers or the school psychologist or other support staff who make up the learning environment or create conditions that allow for learning to happen. Absolutely. Educator wellness is student wellness. Student wellness is educator wellness and the teaching environment is the learning environment. It's the same place, right? Um, so uh, you're also the chair of the DC Council's Committee on Health. And so I, we've been talking about that link a little bit already. But at the same time that this hearing is happening on your student loan relief bill, there's also a hearing on a bill that you've co-sponsored by Councilmember Robert White, which directly addresses mental health of our educators. Uh, among other things, it guarantees two mental health days a year in addition to sick leave. 
Um, we've seen in a lot of the partner schools that we work with that without explicit mental health days uh, built in, there's a real difference in how administrators will count mental health as a, a valid reason, honestly, right, for taking a regular sick leave. And so there's a real differential, not just between schools, sometimes about uh, how mental health is treated. And this bill also provides school wellness coordinators that coordinate approaches that get exactly that attitude, right? Which is like, we can have someone to think about student wellness and educator wellness together and think about the wellness approach that the whole school takes. Uh, we've seen that play a really vital role in some of the schools that we work with, especially with the clinician shortage. So just curious with your lens, not only of education, but of how health uh, is being integrated and mental health being integrated across other types of workforces um, in DC. How have you seen other DC workforces uplift mental health and well-being, and how do you think this bill uh, may try to advance the same thing in education? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that it's strange that the private sector is more advanced on this. I don't say like it's strange, but it is. You know, when I think about some of the technology companies or those kinds of things, their views on leave are so much more progressive than our clock in, clock out, give me an exact precise reason and I need you to give me a doctor's note. They trust their employees to be able to do their jobs, do it effectively, but also take the time that they need for them and their family in any set way, right? There's There are companies that like, they literally don't even have a set number of days. It is, you take the time that you need. And what you find is, and there's been research about this, is that no one is... Um, okay, I'm not going to say no one. There's always a few bad apples. But for the most part, individuals are not abusing the system in terms of a nickel and dime type of situation. There could be instances where an educator, it was a rough week, right? If we think about some of the stuff that is happening in our city right now, you might just need a day <laughs> to decompress, go to the spa, get a massage, whatever. I don't actually care whatever it is that you do, whatever it is that meets your wellness needs so that when you show up in the classroom again, you are not bringing that stress, that trauma with you to the young person, to the classroom. And so I think that this can help. But I also think about the larger questions around leave. I was talking to an educator who was pregnant and due. And she was lamenting about the fact that if she were in the private sector, she would get 12 weeks of paid family leave. And for district government employees, it's still eight weeks. And so she's talking about how she is essentially having to cobble together sick leave, annual leave, begging colleagues if they have anything for leave donation in order to just get to what's equal in the private sector. And I even say even go further, it's not even just what's equal in the private sector, but the federal government is 12 weeks of paid um, parental leave. That's something that I worked on when I was working in the Senate. And so I think mental health days are super important, but I I hope through the conversation about this legislation, it could push something forward. Um, I worked on uh, the district government expansion of leave with um, former council member Alyssa Silverman, and it passed. We have to pay for it. And, you know, all of these things, right? You have to pay for it. And so I think that's always one of the questions. But I think mental health days are, are super important. But I do have a question around how do we push for parity around all types of leave that also go to the mental health of an educator? Yes. And I'm so glad you raised the like private sector, public sector comparison in a way, because actually, even within our public sector in schools, with the advocacy we've been doing around flexible scheduling, there's a huge difference actually in how charter schools in DC handle flexible scheduling models compared to DC public schools. And it's been interesting along the lines of what you said. So Center City Public Charter School, for example, has been doing flexible scheduling for more than six years. 
And what they say is explicitly what you said, which is if you need to go get a massage, you go get a massage. If you need to go to the doctor's office, go to the doctor's office. This time is for you to show up better tomorrow, right? Is for your wellness. Um, so they leave at a certain time on Wednesday, they get the rest of the day and that's what they do. And there's other schools, Monument Academy, who we've worked with and, and others who have flexible scheduling in their the schools. And they're, they're saying this is about educators being well. I would say so far, there's been an approach from DC public schools that is, we will do a little more flexibility, but actually it's just only if it's about time that you spend planning or time that you spend, you know, with your colleagues getting, you know, getting, analyzing data, right, or doing things that are explicitly about students. So we do have to get to that place where we all see the idea that, like, educators just being well. I, I mean, I learned in my first year of teaching, if you cannot wipe the slate completely clean from one day to the next and show up fully for the students as if nothing that happened yesterday happened. You can't do it. You got to be able to do that. Right. But people need the time to do that. Yeah. But I also think it, it's, it's not just about the physical piece. Yeah. Physical is a certain part of it, you know, as a chair of the health committee, I don't want somebody who is like, I got to wait six months to take care of a doctor's appointment from this lump that I'm feeling because the doctor's office is only open, you know, Monday through Thursdays, nine to four, because it's a specialty appointment. I can't get off and therefore I'm putting it off to the summer. And then we have something detrimental happen because you're putting off your own health because you can't get the flexibility to take the time that you need. I don't necessarily know around you know, I feel like sometimes with government, we always, we create policies to the lowest common denominator. There is always an assumption that everybody is going to abuse it and therefore it has to be incredibly strict. And that's perhaps just bureaucracy in general, as opposed to if you give people the time to be able to take care of themselves, that they will show up more productive in the time that they're in the office and for the work that they're doing. I definitely want to see more schools be able to do that. I do think though, there is a question around while we would like to see it happen equitably, this isn't something I feel like can be legislated for every school. It depends on your school makeup, your school culture environments, and whatever the particular needs are of the people in your building. Yeah, we believe that. And we really like to work with schools to work with the staff themselves to be like, what would you all actually like? Like some people really want to come in at noon and they're willing to stay later. And that like really works for their lifestyle. Some people want to be part-time when they become parents and then they want to go back and be full-time later. It's it's like being able to really look at who the people are there and be flexible and, and I think really be creative on how to make it work. And can I just say that whole having to ask people for maternity leave or parental leave, I, I just hope that like future generations will look back and be like, I cannot believe people actually did that the same way with allowing our educators to take on this kind of debt in order to serve our children. And so I, I really appreciate the way that you think about wellness, Councilmember Henderson, of just looking at it not just as, you know, how do you feel good today, but how do we really build a system where people can be sustain themselves and sustain their passion and really sustain the service that they want to be giving to our city, to our children. So thank you so much for being here with us and sharing. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening to our show. If you enjoyed it, please pass it along to another educator wellness advocate and rate us five stars so others can discover our podcast. We also hope you stay in touch. We'd love to hear your questions, ideas, and recommendations for future podcast guests and themes. Just email us at wellness at we are empower ed. That just looks like we are empowered.org. 
You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and TikTok with the same handle as EmpowerEdDC or visit us at WeAreEmpowerEd.org. Thanks again. We are all part of this educator wellness revolution and we really appreciate your time and energy. 